All right. Hello and welcome to RealCom's third webinar in our final series of the year on CRE Tech Innovation. I'm Chuck Nicewanger, president of NiceNets Consulting, your RealCom host for today's webinar, some of the most innovative smart building technologies of 2022 and what's ahead. Thank you for tuning in to the live session or viewing this as a recording. We have a stacked panel of industry experts for this session. So as usual, I do recommend taking notes. I think you'll get a lot out of it. But before we get started, let me go over a few housekeeping items to help you have a great webinar experience. We do thank our live attendees and encourage you to use the Q&A box on your GoToWebinar control panel on the bottom left to submit questions or comments. Uh, it's always better when you're an active participant. We love hearing from you and we'll try to get to all your questions, but if they don't get answered during the webinar, we'll follow up with you once the event is concluded. In the handout section, you'll find more detailed bios of our panelists and some highly informative slides, many of which they're going to use today and from previous webinars in the series. And for the best webinar experience, we do recommend closing out any other internet applications, especially streaming videos, and especially looking up jokes about smart buildings like what did one smart building say to the other if you lead i'll follow like don't don't look up those those you won't even find them so it's not i crack myself up Ian. it's just too much fun <laughs> if you're experiencing any technical issues with connectivity sound or video quality the best thing to do is to disconnect and click on the webinar link again you can also email ian at i thompson that's i-t-h-o-m-p-s-o-n at realcom.com for help during the event. But don't worry, you won't miss anything since you'll receive a link to the webinar recording later today. This educational webinar is supported by our outstanding sponsors. Alberio Energy is a worldwide technology partner with solutions designed to optimize building value, comfort, efficiency, security, and reliability. They design, engineer, install, commission, and maintain building systems that are integrated through streamlined operator interfaces. Building Engines provides commercial real estate's most innovative building operations software platform. They help the world's most successful portfolios deliver an exceptional experience for everyone in the building. LinkSpring develops, manufactures, distributes, and supports edge-to-enterprise solutions that create smarter buildings, smarter equipment, and smarter applications. The company's solutions enable users to realize outcomes, efficiencies, and value from their operational data. LinkSpring is at the forefront of moving buildings from smart to smarter. Volt Server, so patented, their patented digital electricity platform distributes electricity in a safe digital format. Volt Server empowers organizations to pursue true digital transformation, no matter the complexity or demands of their venue. We are grateful for the contributions by our sponsors and vendors to this industry, to Realcom, and to helping educate our viewers in sessions just like these. If you're ready to enhance your entire portfolio with smarter building technology, be sure to include these trusted partners as part of your vendor evaluation process. Our moderator for today's webinar is Tom Shercliffe. He's co-founder of Intelligent Buildings, a smart real estate service firm founded in 2004. Intelligent Buildings provides services for technology strategy, vendor risk management, and portfolio decarbonization. Welcome, Tom. 
just making sure Tom comes on safely. There he is. Hey there, sorry about that. And uh, thank you. Thank you so much, Chuck. Can you hear me? You're okay? very welcome. You got a full panel, uh, so I won't delay. I'm gonna go ahead and get out of the way. I'll see you at the end. Yeah, and, and thank you also for telling that joke before you introduced me, Chuck. I really appreciate that the most. <laughs> I, <laughs> um, no problem. You can count on me anytime. I'll see you. Yeah, sure. So um, so we're at a time, uh, this is about innovation, and we're at a time where circumstances are pushing innovation uh, because of disruption we haven't seen since 2008. And it's obvious uh, to all of us that the pandemic was a generational thing uh, that's driving a lot of innovation everywhere. But in commercial real estate, there are seemingly permanent impacts like um, hybrid work that is making occupant experience now a must-have in almost any leasing conversation, but also HR conversations. And um, this is also happening uh, at a time when a path to net zero uh, and uh, building level cybersecurity are also pushing in uh, as must-haves. So both of those things also require a lot of innovation. And, and a quick note of that, that phrase, must-have, relates to a Brookfield research paper that said the industry itself now, <clears throat> excuse me, commercial industry, real estate, is being divided into haves and have-nots. Um, and we would submit that the haves include those three topics, uh, occupant experience, path to net zero, and cybersecurity. So uh, a lot to think about, but the, but the, the point there is that we're at a time where the, the circumstances are really driving innovation like they haven't in over a decade. And so that's just me talking. So good news is we've got a fantastic panel, as uh, Chuck uh, said, and we're gonna hear from a, a, a large end user, a large investor landlord, as well as some solution providers on what how this has impacted their innovation and what they see uh, going forward. So I'm going to jump right into our first panelist, Kira Dixon from Google, and she is a technology program manager within Google's real estate and workplace services organization, otherwise known as RUSE. She is responsible for evaluating and delivering technologies to enable RUSE objectives, with a specific focus on workplace utilization. And she is passionate about leveraging data and innovation to transform our built environment, which is exactly what we're talking about, Kira. Awesome. Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks, Tom. Uh, and thanks, Realcom and today's sponsors for having me in this discussion. I'm really looking forward to hearing this group's perspective on the last year and how we plan to move forward in 2023 uh, in the smart building industry. All right, so to kick off this conversation, I wanted to start with our ethos. As many of you know, Google's first core value is respect to the user. And this mentality is very much embedded into the way we design and operate our spaces. But despite this approach, we like everyone else saw more work preferences during COVID and around transition to hybrid fundamentally change. Our users came back to the office as different people with different experiences and our buildings saw a level of variability never seen before. And now we're a little bit further from where we were a year ago in understanding these changes and new needs, but that doesn't mean that we found the answer. We still fundamentally believe in people getting together, but we also need to adjust to the flexibility of a hybrid workforce. And with that, we need to be better at listening, adapting to change and failing quickly than ever before. 
we need to understand user preferences, productivity, building usage and performance on an ongoing basis and have the data for decision making. And it's not just about COVID or return to office. We've been talking about needing data for a long time, but the last few years and the variability along with them have made actionizing data business critical. So being data-driven makes way for countless opportunities beyond just the transition to hybrid. I think being user and data-driven are two key components to what we would call you know, the future workplace. And it's what will take us from being reactive uh, from an operational standpoint to proactive, from just managing buildings to customizing solutions for specific audiences, whether the occupant or the operator, the sustainability team, food team, or Googler. And while I say this, there are also some key considerations we think about when solutionizing these various uh, real estate user needs. So we're not looking to aesthetically make our buildings smart. We want to make them smart to our core, which for us means how we go about evaluating technologies and centralizing that systems and data. And we've talked about the right at Realcom in the past using IP connected devices, open source software and applying IT principles. So I'm gonna focus on the left-hand side here. We believe in ensuring our technology selection criteria is really tied to user needs and where that data has a really known usability. In conducting rigorous risk assessments around IoT to ensure we trust what actually gets installed in our building and in validating the accuracy and reliability of the end-to-end -end device, which really can mean going from implementation to configuration, commissioning and ongoing use and really understanding that technology. And the platform and centralization have always been priorities. These were priorities way before the pandemic, but now that data is business critical, we're seeing a concern for data quality, accuracy, and privacy. So as we solidify our platform and a greater number of devices and data points at the bottom of this stack, we can introduce more complex automation at the top. Um, and it's important to really start small at the bottom of the stack to make the top more valuable. So really evaluating from devices to that data storage to how that data is then communicated. And every data layer of that platform has an opportunity to really invalidate the data. And if we're making decisions on introducing things like automation or analytics that really relies on it, we need to validate each of those individual layers. And so we've taken big steps towards establishing a base framework for device management, what you see here, being vendor agnostic, normalizing that data, modeling that data. And now we need to ensure what we put through it is validated to get us the data that we need. How this plays out in practice is a zero trust for security and a zero trust for data quality position, but an emphasis on partnership and transparency with the vendors that we work with. We're working on behalf of all of these, you know, real estate and uh, users that we work with on a day-to-day -day basis to actionize their data needs. But we also need to keep a reasonable pace and not forget about our requirements along the way. So our responsibility is responding to our users' needs. How can I track my sustainability goals? Are there ways to react quickly to a safety concern? How can I be more data-driven with space planning? Is there a way to stay on top of facility issues as they arise? And we've really found it to be critical to create a strong vendor agnostic, independent data layer that can take on regional flexibility across all of our various locations and put it into a global framework. 
And now that we move to a landscape that's really driven by data, we need to be intentional about what the technology that's going in as well as the data comes out. Thank you. Thank you. Um, couple questions if you don't mind. Uh, can you see me? Nope, there we go. Um, yeah, so did, should I, uh, did you say or should I assume that this is for both owned buildings and leased buildings? Yeah, exactly, yeah. And ha have you found that, that, and you said a global platform, have you found that it, that it, is that a, do you have to make changes between owned building and leased buildings and how you apply your strategy and your, and your technology approach? Um, not necessarily. What I think uh, kind of that, that global approach or the global platform really kind of breaks breaks down silos. So we're thinking about just the technology that comes in. We're going back to system type. We're not thinking about the vendors. We're not necessarily thinking about even the building. But we want to pull all of those different systems in, model that data in such a way that's vendor agnostic, that's normalized, that's building agnostic and then get that to a place where then the data is stored so that we can pull that in relevant locations, be flexible to different user needs across, you know, whether it's leased or owned buildings, whether it's uh, in India or in California, um, we need to still have a same global approach, but the ability to kind of adapt to what somebody in Bangalore or somebody in Sunnyvale needs in terms of building operations. But, we're able to do that through kind of working back into that platform and making sure that we're not approaching those buildings differently. We're really approaching them with the same mentality, same framework and same structure for how we're managing that data. So is that, uh, but you're, is that a combination of uh, workplace technology and base building technology or did I mishear that? Like HVAC and lighting and these kind of things? Yeah, so that's what we would be considering kind of telemetry data and the way we have a bunch of different you know, data lakes and no data lakes created equal. Uh, each data lake kind of has a, a bit of a different purpose, but you know, we, we uh, extract, let's say building systems data and put that into a common repository. And then within our premise or our environment, we're going to use that in combination with other data sources to make it, you know, give it context, give it uh, a better understanding of it in relation to that building. So if we take the example of a building system, um, like a lighting system, we might be interested in the telemetry data associated with that, uh, and then also need to make context around that from, you know, what building are we talking about? What's the square footage of that building? What are nuances around that building that might be important to then an understanding of the analytics or the reporting or any sort of automation that we want to introduce down the road? So are you saying that, that, um, that telemetry data, you've been able to generally get from the landlords uh, or, or is that is that sort of the, the plan? Um, yeah, so the telemetry data, uh, I would say is irrespective of whether it's owned or leased, it's, it's that, you know, we need data in order to uh, actionize the user needs of these spaces. And so we put them through the same exercise that if it's a owned building as a leased building as to say, we need, you know, whether it's lighting data or HVAC data to run those operations. And so we need to approach them under a really similar framework, which means extracting that data and putting that into a common repository and then looking at those buildings largely the same with then the awareness of what is owned versus what is leased. 
I was going to say, if Google's found a way to get all of that telemetry data seamlessly across global landlords, I got four solution providers on this panel that want to see you after class. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say, you know, it's always easy, but I think, you know, having that framework and having an expectation that if you if you kind of put if you're agnostic and you could be agnostic to the system, you could be agnostic to the building. But if you take an approach where you're just saying I'm introducing a global platform and that needs by nature to be agnostic to some of those more static inputs uh, that at least helps to facilitate a lot of those conversations instead of, you know, really tackling uh, regions and tackling, um, uh, you know, inputs like that, whether owned or leased differently, which we wouldn't want to do if we want to have a consistent management of that overall portfolio. You may or may not be involved in this next question, but is, are you, are you changing lease language uh, to require these things? Has that gotten to be a sort of a template for you yet? I'm more involved from a technology standpoint, so I can't really speak to that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah sure. And it's just that, um, and, and by the way, thanks for all those, uh, those questions because really um, you've been doing this for a while at Google, but the, 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 the pandemic with the um, hybrid work uh, occupant experience now going from the parking deck to the desk and back is really blurring the lines between base building and uh, and occupant related uh, you know space technology so that is uh, I know you guys have been doing that for a while but right now everybody is really having to get to know each other better <laughs> uh, when it comes <laughs> to those, those two technology dividing lines so I appreciate you uh, you talking through that yeah definitely thank you great well thanks Gary we'll 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 connect with you at the end on the panel discussion and we'll uh, move over to Archie now from uh, Quadrille, and uh, Archie is a senior project manager currently managing deployment of smart building innovation projects across Quadrille's portfolios. He previously also led a team that deployed one of the largest commercial building automation projects in Canada, and I can tell you all, if you don't know, that Quadrille sits up on a mountain uh, when it comes to innovation and 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 smart building technology. So, Archie, really looking forward to uh, hearing your thoughts. Great, thanks, Tom. Uh, so, to begin, um, I thought I'd uh, I, I thought I'd start off by giving you a quick overview of uh, Quadrille's approach to uh, digitizing buildings. Uh, so we focus on three, uh, three strategic pillars, uh, spaces, experiences, and operations. I'm going to focus on the operations piece uh, the most here, but I do want to stress the importance of uh, the other two, which are essentially the, uh, the client-facing piece. Um, spaces is essentially, um, the aspect is to digitally enable tenants' environments through the deployment of IoT sensors and uh, integration to, to base building systems. So we do this uh, through visualizing it on a cloud-based platform that's specific to the tenant's needs. Um, the experiences piece is accomplished through our own internal Quadrille Plus app. Uh, and this allows sort of bi-directional communication with the Quadrille team, with, uh, um, allows us to do things like desk booking, room booking, uh, work order requests, mobile credentials, um, and allows the end user to be more connected to, to the community. The, the operations piece will, will essentially sort of speaks for itself. It's to enhance uh, building operations. Um, so it's, what, what we do is we take data for building systems across the portfolio, normalize it and visualize it uh, in, a in a centralized platform. Uh, we call that the uh, integrated building management platform or IBMP for short. 
Um, and essentially, once it's uh, it's once it's uh, normalized and visualized, uh, the it's it's fairly consistent um, across our global portfolio. Um, the data can be anything from uh, IoT devices, uh, uh, things like work order systems, um, enterprise platforms, uh, integration to parking and EV, um, as well as uh, sort of bi-directional communication with your, your typical base building systems like uh, BAS, lighting, fire security, metering, um, vertical transportation, and sort of, uh, 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 you know, so on. Um, I'm not going to get into every single one of these, but essentially throughout the, the last few years, we've uh, started a national deployment of our GPON across uh, our commercial portfolio. Um, essentially, this is to create a, uh, a robust OT network for connectivity um, for sort of our, our current and future goals. Um, we're deploying this currently through our residential uh, properties as well, and that's typically in, uh, in new development. Uh, it's sort of a scaled-down version of the uh, of the commercial GPON. Uh, we've also uh, nationally rolled out uh, IoT pilots, uh, so things like people counting and indoor air quality. Uh, we've launched across all, um, pretty much all asset classes. Um, and essentially, the the, the uh, intent of these rollouts isn't to be fixed on one or on on only one specific use case, but to sort of be able to adapt to future ones. So the, obviously the, the, the big one that, that happened was the pandemic. So what we tried to do was leverage our smart tech to respond to, to COVID. Uh, so things like having um, insights into air qualities of our buildings, we're able to improve on ventilation or having um, occupancy data, we're able to uh, allow our cleaning staff to be more effective uh, with, uh, with cleaning. So instead of operating on uh, schedules we can operate on traffic uh, and and sort of to add to that we've we've sort of implemented a a red light green light system uh, to prevent things like overcrowding in places like washrooms um, so during during the pandemic we were able to leverage some of that smart tech that we had uh, deployed and we were planning to deploy um, in addition using that same occupancy data to do things like uh, uh, desk booking so if uh, an employee isn't coming into work. I mean, typically there's a lot of work from home nowadays. You, you can set your desk as a way and have someone else uh, book that same desk. Um, and then the other big piece uh, that we've been rolling out is the digital twin or the um, IBMP. Uh, and so essentially, why why do we pr uh, pursue this? Um, I'm going to focus on just two of the points here. And I think two of the big ones are uh, to reduce uh, consumption and reduce cost. Uh, the operational savings um, are from using the data to make decisions um, on how your building runs. So things like optimized start-stop or you know changes to ventilation, those are sort of two examples. Uh, the capital savings are from things like eliminating um, uh, layers of platforms, uh, additional you know front-end graphics, uh, hardware to support base building systems like your workstations and servers, um, and sort of migrating um, away from all that. Um, and the last point I, I sort of make on that same note is we're focused on having our communications be uh, non-proprietary and also vendor agnostic. Uh, so that means essentially not having a single point potentially where there's a gateway to access the system, instead being as, as open right to the edge. 
the so you know how did we get started um essentially we started by creating our standards and playbooks uh rolling that out to um, msis as part of an rfp um, and uh, being able to partner with a msi um, along with that we deployed a sort of robust infrastructure for connectivity um, that was able to support yeah not only our current goals or our past goals but also future goals. Um, and, and lastly, it was really just uplifting some of those base building systems so our MSI could integrate with them. Uh, so now we're, you know, most of our buildings or most of our commercial buildings are fully integrated. Um, we're able to make uh, smarter decisions about our buildings. And in addition, we're in a position to um, automate some of those decisions using things like machine learning and AI. Uh, so to date, um, we've, you know, currently we've deployed across 55 buildings, um, 30 million square feet, uh, 30 different types of integrations, um, 250,000 devices, uh, and, you know, 4 million points. Uh, so benefits to date and sort of what the future pipeline looks like for us. Uh, so we've deployed things like, I mean, FTT, FTD, and OSS. I mean, some of those terms you probably heard of, functional testing uh, tools, uh, fault, de fault detection and diagnosis, um, and op uh, optimized start-stop. Uh, our optimized start-stop, we, we deployed at one site, which actually saved us about 750 FANCO unit run hours, which, you know, correlates to uh, quite a bit of uh, uh, reduction in energy. Um, sort of the, the the future here is to try to centralize uh, centralize operations, have less dependency on third-party contractors, uh, do more self-performance. So by leveraging FDD, we can un, you know understand where the issues are, and if they're critical issues, we can start to look at uh, automating uh, work orders specifically for critical issues, um, and 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 typically disrupt that that contract service. Uh, model and and kind of move towards more of a a, a break fix model. So when we deploy our FTT software, we have a, a complete checklist of specific issues we want contractors to address when they do come to site. Um, and sort of I know I'm running out of time here, so there's two two more points I'll make is, um, you know, having all this data also means we can. Um, capitalize uh, or, or, or create capital budgets and, and, and spend plans uh, uh, more effectively. Instead of looking at uh, life expectancy of equipment, we can start to look at um, equipment that, that's, that's constantly failing, look at worst offenders and make, and make better decisions and not just look at age. Um, also, we can look at um, negotiating more bulk deals because we can start to understand where all the failures are. Um, and and I think that's that's essentially where I'll end it. Thank you, um, Archie. Uh, appreciate that. So, a um, couple of uh, boy, so many thoughts actually. First of all, I think you made a lot of other REITs uh, feel insufficient, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> um, what when we talk about technology, one of the obvious things that we've experienced is the technology is one thing, but operating it is another thing. And you you talked about a centralized, but is this mostly or all your own staff? Uh, have you been able to translate it to third-party property management companies? How are you? How do you do that? It's, it's hard to uh, get them into your way. What's the mix there? Yeah, so uh, great question. So it 
it's typically our own internal staff but when we do get tenants and tenants have their own you know they might have their own operation staff what we do is we can create a another level or another platform that is uh, a little bit more tailored down just for their space so they can do things like uh, some 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 basic level temperature control some lighting control scheduling uh, so there's a there's a administrative level platform that they can use and 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 that we can just create using um, apis from the ibmp that we've already established and um <clears throat> that's a, that's a really good question how much of this goes from the base building into the tenant space and that technology like here and i were talking about now it's kind of hard to really draw a hard line when you're creating experiences yeah so and and it's 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 really dependent on the tenant there might be some tenants that want to have more access and have more of that have insights and live data and uh, we have the ability to to pass that information along to them but um some tenants might may, may want as minimal as possible and uh you know just want more visuals of insights as opposed to controllability so it so it so it really depends on the tenants but i think the key takeaway is uh, the data is available and it is bi-directional and it, it, uh, um, we're, we're able to pass that on to them. You will provide, okay. And does, um, related question though, are you taking on more technology that would traditionally have been in the tenant space in your approach? Or are you sort of trying to perfect the base building piece and, and give them the ability to have your data and do their own occupant technology space technology? So typically, we wouldn't add any more technology. We may um, change some of that technology. Uh, like for example, if we already have uh, an LP1 um, infrastructure, we don't necessarily need as much hardwire technology as might be traditional. We could start to leverage that. Uh, we could allow our tenants to leverage that same LP1 infrastructure as opposed to putting their own uh, infrastructure in for something like you know some uh, some level of like BAS devices, and tr and transfer it from maybe having a hardwired solution and having more wireless solutions. So um, last question, and again maybe it's sort of for another time, but do you have a, um, a description of how you're approaching this financially? Are these things ROI? Are they just part of your standard? Are the budgets coming from central office, or is it by on a building by building budget? Like how are you approaching? I mean, the, the, the presentation's amazing, but it looks like it costs a lot of money. How do you, how do, you do it? Yeah, that's actually a question we get asked a lot. So it, it's, it's not about spending more, it's about spending smarter. Um, most of these systems do typically uh, are able to integrate. It's just making sure you find the, uh, the right systems that can integrate. So making sure they there isn't proprietary communications, making sure that they are vendor agnostic, that they go right to the edge. Um, and, and, and I'd say typically, if you were to start to look into your own buildings, you're gonna find a handful of systems that you could begin to integrate without any, any third party middleware. Um, but then uh, there, there will be systems where there will be a need for some level of middleware in order to, to get it uplifted to the cloud. No, I appreciate that, and that's actually after my own heart. We we try to communicate to people that you know wrongly think that smart buildings are stacking on more stuff, and really it's more mm -hmm. about scalability, flexibility, interoperability, cybersecurity. These attributes 
that then allow you to create use cases and approaches like yours. Well, thank you for that. And like Kira, I could, I could, we could go on another half an hour, but uh, we'll, we'll loop back around in the session. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. So we're going to go now into a sponsor video. We'll be right back after that. LinkSpring's Edge to Enterprise for Enterprise and Multi-Sites is a turnkey smart building solution that connects, accesses, and translates operational and facility data from devices and equipment into actionable information. Information that can save energy, increase efficiency, and reduce operating costs while maintaining a higher level of comfort for occupants. The Edge to Enterprise solution consists of hardware and software combined with engineering, deployment, and professional services. It's everything you need to deploy and experience the value of a smart facility enterprise, including connectivity, integration, interoperability, automation, command and control, data access and normalization, analytics, and cloud services. Okay, great. So next, uh, we're going to have Mark Peacock from LinkSpring. And uh, uh, besides being a good friend and a legend, uh, as Realcom has recognized him, I'll, I'll tell you that he's a pioneer <clears throat> in leading the intelligent smart buildings and M2M movements, pushing the industry forward, and has contributed to transforming and changing the intelligent buildings and M2M and now IoT uh, industries. And I can tell you every word of that is true. And Mark, thanks for being here. Thanks, Tom. Uh, greatly appreciate it. Hello, everyone. Wow, what a difference a year makes. At times, it's really hard to recognize the built environment of today. It isn't changing. It already has. Expectations have gone well beyond what they used to be. And I think everybody uh, attending today can, uh, can relate to that. The pandemic, combined with the new demands from the business side of managing buildings has really rewritten the rules. Suffice to say that managing and operating buildings is more challenging than it ever has been in our history. And the hardest task isn't to incorporate an approach that includes, or the hardest task, I should say, sorry, uh, includes an approach that includes resiliency and risk mitigation combined with deciding what needs to be done now and what can wait. So let's look at what really matters. So what I wanna share with you today are six general topics that I believe really matter as we end 22, uh, as we end 2022 and we head out into 2023. So the, as you can see, it's not one thing, it's a combination of things. So we've heard already on the call the importance of the workplace. Hybrid is here to stay. I think we all would agree to that. COVID is no longer the chief concern for tenants and occupants. Flexibility is. Quality office space is not enough any longer. It is about attractive spaces that what I define as that are commute worthy and deliver enhanced experience and socialization outlets. Next is sustainability. Occupants care about sustainability and they want visibility into how the building is addressing and contributing it to it. 
sustainability has resurged. All of that is all part of the workplace. Let's move to the next uh, one on the list here, data. It, there's a continued importance of data. We heard that from Archie and from Kira already. It's data-driven decision intelligence to reduce the huge cost of what I define as wasted opportunities. Organizations must realize that data-driven insights and improved data interoperability across a non-siloed OT environment will in fact help deliver business value through more efficient and sustainable ways of operating and managing buildings. Next is IP and the edge. The built environment has become hyper-distributed with the use of IP and the edge playing a significant shift in the way we are connecting, controlling, acquiring information, interacting, and actually making real-time decisions. Together, IP and the edge have enabled us to flatten the topology of the traditional building control architecture and create a horizontal IP, IT-friendly architecture. This has enabled us to expand our reach to a new range of equipment, devices, and applications that are providing relevant outcomes for operating our buildings. The next is cybersecurity. I would be remorse if I did not touch a little bit on cybersecurity. You cannot have a discussion in today's climate and environment without on buildings without addressing cyber. Cybersecurity remains as important as ever and should be part of an ongoing decision and action. Specifically, moving solely from focusing on prevention and perimeter defenses to resilience and enhancing the ability to withstand an attack. Organizations today need to recognize that attacks are in inevitable and need to be prepared and able to rapidly recover from these incidents, as well as maintain continuity during and after the incident. Today's cyber initiatives need to include the implementation of zero trust architectures and a never trust, always verify approach. Next is ESG. I think we all will agree that ESG is playing a more influential role across all businesses globally, including ours, the built environment. It's no longer a buzzword. It's a business practice that's driving industry-wide strategy and decisions. Adopting ESG principles has become more pressing today with many owners and operators making it a priority to invest in this effort. These initiatives are resulting in a whole new rebirth, a re-engagement in discussions around energy efficiency, carbon reduction, net zero, water conservation, and more. And finally, on what matters most here on this slide is the convergence of OT, IT, and WT. What I mean here is that we have already been experienced the experiencing the convergence of OT and IT for some time now. But now we must consider the convergence and adding the whole workplace experience side of this into this. Convergence of IT, OT, and WP 
is, is evolving in the building operations technology stack. And I think we've already heard that from the two uh, previous presentations. The traditional operational environment now needs to connect and integrate with the physical workplace environment. So if this is all not enough yet, I wanna leave you with this, that in addition to these six things, that balancing all of these is the need for more stringent efficiencies in our buildings, flexibility as we heard Tom and agility say earlier, reliability, reduced complexity, and the time to value creation. And again, we have to do all of this with and a lot of times where we have less that we have to work with. So in summing, today's challenge in our environment, as I see it, uh, it's not the need, the need's here. It's not the technology, our solutions are here, they're proven, but rather it's the willingness and the preparation to take advantage of them. With that, Tom, let me turn it back to you. Well, thanks, Mark. Just a couple of questions for you. Um, you know, you, you covered a, a good range there and you know, you kind of alluded to this, but some people get technology or, or think they're innovating because they got a sugar high off buying some technology. <clears throat> you know, what, what should they really be thinking about? It's sort of more of a forward thinking way of innovating rather than just grabbing some tech. Got it. And when I have these types and I get these discussions a lot, um, I usually will share what I consider a top 10. One that when you're looking, make sure that the solution or whatever you're looking at, the technology is first and foremost proven. Second, that it's open. And I think we heard Archie uh, reiterate that as well as Kira, that what you're looking at is specifically designed and tailored for the built environment. Don't try to apply something else that might work in another situation, not the built environment, and try to apply it within the built in environment. Make yep. sure that it allows for integration and interoperability and compatibility, that it's multifunctional, that the data, that the data is being normalized, tagged, and can be interoperable with each other. Of course, cyber um, and scalability. And then lastly here, is the importance of support. How is the provider providing that all encompassing support that will be required and needed? That's great. And one more uh, question that demands a long answer, but I need a short one. Uh, and that is that um, uh, sustainability and even ESG in real estate really means in large part when it comes to the built environment, net zero. It doesn't mean just be, you know, we've been around a long time, sustainability just was lead and some other kind of nice things. Uh, but net zero is an innovation mountain, is it not? That that's really gonna be uh, uh, the thing that needs innovation the most to try to get to that sort of uh, elusive uh, phrase? I think yes, but at the same time, there's other pieces of this that I think are important, but they all play into the net zero uh, whole discussion. And you know, we can yeah. talk for days on yeah. this. Let's. You know, we don't have fair that enough, time today. So no, no, I appreciate it. And your, your presentation really covered those, 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 those topics real well. And thank, thank you, Mark. Appreciate uh -huh. that. And um, we're going to jump into a video now, and I'll be right back on the other side. In commercial real estate, 
Success starts with the building. The best-run properties deliver the best tenant experiences, driving more revenue and boosting your NOI. It's what exceptional building operations is all about. But while the equation is simple, getting there is anything but, especially as your portfolio grows. Enter PRISM by Building Engines. PRISM is CRE's most modern, most innovative, and most powerful building operations platform, uniquely designed to help you increase NOI from a single building to thousands of commercial properties. PRISM's broad and deep feature set is built on two decades of helping CRE companies achieve operational excellence, including core features for best-in-class operations, innovative tools to boost the tenant experience, and unique solutions you won't see from any other ops provider. In today's mobile world, PRISM is right there with you, ensuring everyone from engineers to tenants have access to the info they need anytime, anywhere. Might have lost Tom, so I'll just I'll jump right in. Tom, you there? Yeah, but I, but actually, you go ahead and tell us who you are, Jeff. I know who you okay. are, but they don't. Um, so my name is Jeff Thompson. I'm a, I'm a, a VP in product at uh, Building Engines and JLLT. And uh, what I wanted to do, given the topic and given part of this, is to look back on the last year as well as to look forward. I thought it would be good to sort of uh, talk about our way into. Um, IoT and smart buildings from working initially just on Prism as part of building engines. We were focused on building out a platform for managers, engineers, tenants, uh, really capturing all the stakeholders and providing a, a framework they could work within. And uh, that's been very successful. We have over 4 billion square feet on it. And in building it, we, we focused on making it a modern platform from the ground up. So we made it API first and we designed it so that it would be a, a future forward platform. And one of the things that that led to was our acquisition by JLLT. So we were, we were purchased by JLLT actually just about a year ago. And my team actually moved from focusing mostly on PRISM to focusing broadly on the entire technical stack for property and asset management. Um, and what that's done is really looped in IoT and sustainability and a number of other you know, product types. And that kind of put us into the mode of working out how we were going to work with all those different pieces of technology uh, in, a, in an environment and a space that's really frothy. Uh, obviously, there's a, a ton of uh, solutions cropping up. Some stay, some don't, some you know, scale, uh, some stay small. And the acquisition actually put quite a bit of throw weight behind us in terms of being able to build and, in and to be able to partner and to be able to buy. So what that kind of forced us to do was look at how we could scale uh, a framework for all these stakeholders to work and allow for all those different um, types of technology to be evaluated and implemented because the same technology might not be applicable you know, globally um, or it may be specific to, a, to an asset type. And so what we've really found is that the challenge has been to create consistency across the portfolio on the operations management side. So really build out the solutions that the managers and engineers and asset managers and higher level execs are in. So they have a consistent environment and then leverage the APIs and leverage the technology to integrate with all of the various um, other tools that are out there. So um, there's been a really good example where we've acquired a few products in the, in the IoT and sustainability uh, space 
And so our approach is to build modules around what the engineer needs or the manager needs or the asset manager needs to leverage the technology behind the scenes. So we automate the data acquisition. Um, we surface actions that they can either um, execute or not, uh, rather than relying on people to get in front of dashboards and sit and watch them sort of thing. So we're really focused on merging the operations software with all of the various technologies that are there for IoT and for smart buildings. And we're seeing that start to yield some really interesting results. And what that's also done is it's allowed us to combine the smart building and IoT data with um, the financial information from you know, various financial systems. We happen to partner with Yardi, but we work with all of them. And, and that really gives us kind of an interesting um, uh, combined approach where you can take financial data, all your smart building data, and then you have the sort of behavior of the tenants and managers in the buildings in your operations programs. And surfacing you know, that, um, uh, some of our earlier presenters talked about their data lakes and we're building them too. And so we're combining all this information so that we can surface insights and then push uh, actions back down to the managers uh, out in the field. So I wanted to sort of mention a couple of the challenges that we've seen with that because it's, it's certainly come up. Um, you know, one of my favorite quotes is actually uh, from an author, William Gibson, he talks about the fact that the future is here, but it's unevenly distributed. And a big part of it is um, getting beyond the sort of uh, technical champions in the buildings who can execute on um, delivering on IoT and delivering on smart buildings very selectively. So you can find uh, you can find buildings that are highly resourced and projects that are high profile, and, and you implement a solution, and that solution is a clear win, and it's wonderful. But if you look across a, a huge portfolio or a broad um, client base, not every building is a champion, and not every manager is is familiar with technology or embracing technology. So what we've seen and what we've incorporated into our strategy is looking outward to all the various technologies as they as they arise. So we're engaging directly with technology providers. We have the sort of spark uh, arm of JLLT that looks at, you know, looks at the future and looks at investments. But a big part of what our team does too is it goes back to the business. And what it's trying to do is really make, make get the buy-in from the business as a whole and then insulate them from complexity. And I think that's a that's a huge part of creating a practical solution that people will really adopt is, you know, use, hopefully it's ours, but use whatever solution the stakeholders are actually in in their day to day lives and then build out those solutions. So they leverage the technology in the background. So we we're actually doing that within Prism to build out uh, automated fault detection and to build out indoor air quality and uh, to build out energy management. We're building these modules and delivering them. And then in the background, we're, we're leveraging the IoT and smart buildings technology. So it appears to be, um, it appears to be a very consistent single platform, same look and feel, easy to adopt. But we're actually taking advantage of the fact that there are all these technologies available in the buildings. And so that's, that's kind of been our goal. And that's what we've seen over the last year is this move toward um, being very selective about technology, um, but also needing to incorporate the technology that exists in the buildings but also going back to um, achieving buy-in from all the various asset types and all the regions and, and really engaging and then making them feel part of the process has been a, a huge part of you know, making something successful. 
so uh, with that, what I wanted to do was, was really get to uh, Q&A uh, from there, but that's kind of been our experience today. Now that's, that's, that's really helpful. I, uh, you know, you touched on a couple of things that I think are kind of burning questions when it comes to innovation. And it, basically the idea that you said, we want to leverage existing data and technology. We want to add new ones. And <clears throat> I've been in this 18 years. There's every category has umpteen solutions in it. There's a whole industry segment that used to not exist called prop tech. Um, you know, if I were trying to innovate, great. But also, how do I try to, how can I, what hope do I have of standardizing on a, on a technology stack or infrastructure if I'm a, if I'm a portfolio? Yeah, and, and so from our from what we're trying to do both for JLL and also for our clients at large is offer a fully integrated stack and make it selective. So someone doesn't have to adopt every component of the stack. Um, they're allowed to you know choose. And then a lot of buildings aren't going to fund replacement of technology. Some will, and those are great, and they can be very forward leaning. But um, if you look across a portfolio, in most of the buildings, they can't budget wholesale replacement of their tech. So that's where we get into doing data normalization, making sure they're delivering the same data to the overall solution that you know the preferred stack is. And then you do it by population. You find out um, you know your top three or four pieces of technology in the field. You figure out what data they're delivering. You figure out how to normalize it. You bring it together, and then that gives you your you know that gives you the the overall solution that you're looking for. That's, um, it reminds me of something we said when we were doing prep conversations. You said you were trying to keep customers on the platform, and I, I didn't take that to be a shameless sales pitch. I, 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 took it, I took it to really mean don't chase shiny optics. Once you're doing something useful and you've kind of incorporated that and digested that, don't then leap to the next thing. Is that what you mean by yeah. kind of keep, keep a central? Yeah, it, it, it's that, but it's also um, if you've gone through the effort of creating a standard operating environment for a set of stakeholders. So if you have all your managers using the same system for work and maintenance and inspections and a number of other things, no matter what it is, hopefully ours, but could be anyone's, that gives you something of huge value as you try to incorporate new technology. If you put in a new piece of technology and then demand that managers leave the system that they're in every day, log into something else or respond to reminders coming in from something else or alarms coming in from something else, you really quickly get to a point where people can't respond and they, they really can't manage all the different inputs that they're getting. So what we're doing is we're building out the platform around the workflows. So we will make fault detection look consistent even if there are multiple technologies involved. And we'll do the same with energy and we'll do the same with indoor air quality. And then we offer that as part of the solution, but if someone wants to use something else, they absolutely can. Yeah, in incremental gains. Well, yeah. thank you. Thanks so much, Jeff, and we'll, we'll, we'll circle back around during the panel conversation. Next, we're going to bring in uh, Rick from uh, Alberio, who is serves as Director of Solutions Architecture at Alberio Energy and is an industry leader in innovative solutions for the facility automation and smart building industry. And with nearly 30 years of experience, he is focused on solutions for complex control and automation systems. Rick, what do you think about innovation? Um, it's, um, uh, it, basically it's, um, uh, the, the stuff that you guys have said is, is some of the things that keeps me up late at night and thinking about how we're going to innovate through this. But, um, it, I've, um, 
the last few years, I've I've had a little bit of a change in roles, and it's given me an interesting perspective with with uh, regard to innovation and how we've innovated in this industry. So, um, you know, obviously the four types of innovation are incremental. We talked about that. Some adjacent innovation where we pull something from another industry, um, say like how we repurposed UV, which is used in pharma, over to office buildings to help with the um, mitigation of the virus um, and, um, you know, you know, pulling in some internet technologies into our space to kind of help facilitate uh, data integration. Um, there's disruptive innovation and that would be, you know, maybe the iPhone would be something um, in that range of of innovation and then also maybe the in our industry the transition say from pneumatic to ddc would have been a disruptive innovation and some of the other technologies have brought in and there's the concept of radical innovation which is like the uh, invention of the airplane so anyway in in our what i saw through in uh, leading up to the pre-pandemic as i look back on it was just a lot of incremental innovations we were we were still working on some of the same platforms, some of the same hardwares. And, and so I think what we were trying to do was um, try to get at the data and create solutions or innovative solutions that would, you know, help with operations, help with the building. But I think, you know, I, I, as I'm looking back on it, I think we really, as we went, as I went through the pandemic, I was more on the operations side especially with mission critical facilities, critical, um, you know, critical government facilities, not only here in the States, but also in Europe. Um, there was, um, you know, a constant reminder to me of, you know, some of the stuff we got wrong, you know, so, so use cases and, you know, that we had with open field protocols, good. So we can get data from here to there. We can do, you know, basic alarming. We were introducing analytics and the concept of single pane of glass. And I'm speaking in general. Um, I, I think Jeff's um, uh, quote on distribution was is was extremely poetic. I think there were some uh, early adopters that were way way out in front and probably and maybe fared a little bit better during the pandemic as far as how they handled the changing landscape and as we learned more about the science of this virus and change and and had to adapt the real estate i think we found out that our our integrated systems weren't as adaptable as we thought and the information that we collected the piles of information that we had in the databases weren't we weren't it wasn't effective we couldn't effectively apply it or or keep them in the same application while we solve the problem so um and you know the the some of the flexibilities that we experienced with um uh, you know with the systems as we were trying to operate like you know i had some clients wanting to know well why can't i get information out of my building or bms system over to help us deal with our integrated work management space you know so we can get you know so we can um you know make an adaptable workspace or a better tenant experience and um you know there's reasons why i mean i'll discuss that in a little bit but you know, it's just we had a lot of smart buildings that in a lot of cases were so rooted in in some of the legacy technologies and it was siloed. You didn't realize it until you actually had to, you know, 
make a space flexible within, you know, weeks, if not, and then, you know, sometimes days. Um, so it really forced us to kind of look at how we, how we operated and how we dealt with, um, you know, how we kept the workforce active because we, we didn't have an option of shutting down and staying home. You know, these, this was, you know, this was the stuff that actually, and, and help people, um, stay viable through the pandemic. Um, you know, a lot of the data centers and stuff, you know, help facilitate people being able to educate their children and work through that. So, um, I think post pandemic, I think, I think hardware innovation, as we all understand is, is doesn't come quickly. So I think, I think, um, and I, and I heard a number of you guys kind of touch on a little bit. I think it's really, I think it's not only the data intelligence, but I think the software behind it. Uh, I think, I think a lot of the software we had out there really lacked a, a lot of, um, capability of information data sharing. And, you know, we just didn't, you know, although we had tagging and ontologies, we just didn't, they, they just weren't semantically interoperable. So, um, you know, I could integrate the data streams, but, you know, it's, you know, it's just sort of, you know, real-time data coming, let's say between an elevator system and the building automation system. So how do we want to, you know, operate or interact with that? What are the, you know, we can describe the use cases, but the the technology in and of itself wasn't good at describing it, the data as it come across. So, um, you know, in one case, um, we were having a, a lot of failures with a piece of equipment and there's 2,048 pieces of this particular equipment. So, um, you know, my client was just, you know, was just dumbfounded that we couldn't tell him which ones were failed as an aggregate and so you know ended up having to take the data that we'd already collected and then you know you know rewrite reports or or tag it so we could you know help them uh deal with with operating scenarios that were critical to you know keeping the building operational um so i think um, what's been interesting to me is I've, uh, as I've come back into the actual, you know, smart building or enterprise level, you know, integration stuff, I think, you know, it's, it's to Tom's point, we are, and, 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 and Mark as well, the, the use cases or what, what's expected out of a building or, 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 you know, there is, there is converged cyber secure building network. That's a, that's a requirement. It's a must have, um, you know, to facilitate remote operations, remote work, you know, smart hands, that type of thing. So integrated building management platforms, you know, complete. And when I say integrated, I mean, you know, it's, you know, it's almost a door to door uh, interactivity with your workspace environment uh, from your mobile phone. I mean, that's what some of these clients are looking for. That's how they're going to differentiate themselves or compete and, and also get the critical people back to work that we need to get back in an office or a collaborative environment because as a, as a, as a nation, we're off, our productivity is off 4%. So that, you know, um, you know, the work from home is good and it's efficient for some folks, but again, it's, it's, it, um, you know, the workspaces have to change to facilitate getting folks back to the office and, and keeping them safe. So, some of the things, you know, the mobile tenant engagement, the, these operationalized BIMs or digital twins, um, you know, 
digital kiosk and guest services, space utilization on occupancy and how the people are interacting with the building so they can change, um, so they can actually adapt the real estate, um, you know, occupant comfort and, and, you know, which has always kind of been there, but occupant, occupant comfort in the standpoint that, you know, they, they understand they can interact, you know, they can sit at their desk and, and, um, it it has their persona and it can actually flag them if they on on certain travel options or things that are happening happening external to them that may impact uh their commute home or whatever so um um so i think as we you know i think as this moves forward we're starting to see obviously the impacts of the the policy the the esg goals uh the concept of grid interactive buildings is uh as more evs come onto the grid um you know the carbon uh i've i worked on some pretty cool projects that involved you know uh carbon sequ sequestration systems and how um, how that that gets utilized the you know some of the CCUS technology um, and then and that's all going to be integral to how uh, real estate operates uh, moving forward um, so um, I think some of the innovations that we're going to see and these some of this is kind of far out but and some of it's here now there's there's um, um, you know, it's going to be more distributed IoT, obviously, because again, to their to the point previous, people aren't going to have the money to rip and replace, but they will uh, if there's a particular type of software that facilitates what they need. They may put in a um, an IoT device, and so what that what's going to drive. So I think the next big innovation that's going to drive or help facilitate that's obviously in the middleware. Is how do we get these um, so some of these new applications uh, portfolio management type inf uh, information systems um, the middleware is going to be the key piece you know developing the the you know working with protocols like MQTT working um, uh, with with uh, Google's digital building um, ontology um, you know, so some of those terms you know snowflake those type of data structure so things that we weren't previously familiar with in this market we're going to have to well, that's that's what, that's yeah. what i was going to ask is that are, are, are you know are do you see changes on the horizon or are we really still at a, t a stage of trying to just use what we got or both? I, i'm seeing the changes and i'll tell you why is because i'm starting to see the rfis rfps i'm starting to see that those are hitting our desk we're starting to sign non-disclosure agreements where we're looking at what folks want to do a year or two down the road and, and it's starting to hit us i mean again it's there's certain there's certain industries that it it they they have to have people in the offices to facilitate what they do so they're seeing that as an investment um into their future so so now the way um they utilize the buildings and then obviously some of the you know like with data centers the carbon reporting is going to be you know some of that's going to be mandatory and i've seen some of the folks already get out in front of that and start asking for that data because so that's a really good uh, canary in the coal mine there what you're seeing in NDAs and, and, and uh, rfis and so forth so thank you for that that's really good really good thought yep. there uh, we'll yep. catch you in just a second. And uh, so next we're yep. going to go to Luke with uh, Volt Server. 
and he's the director of product management and marketing at Volt Server, a startup disrupting the energy sector with its patented digital electricity. <clears throat> Luke is passionate about transitioning electrical power infrastructure that is safer, more resilient, and based on renewable energy. And daggone it, Luke, just when I thought I was all excited about power over Ethernet, you bring this wild thing into the conversation. Tell us about that. You are sure. muted. Um, so this webinar has covered the importance of data and integrations into the intelligent building. Uh, this again, can you hear me now? No, you're good, you're good, yep. Okay. All right, so this webinar has covered the importance of data and integrations in the intelligent building. The benefits from the collection of, interpretation of, and actions from this data for different applications and benefits to the business, the environment, and tenants. We have not talked about power, though. We can't forget that data and power are inextricably linked. All these connected devices require power, whether it's a PoE switch, a camera, your workstation, your phone, your watch, or soon your clothes and your shoes. Uh, look at these two examples of uh, success stories that have you know, enabled a single cable to provide both power and data with increasing data rates and power levels over time. The next evolution of USB can provide up to 240 watts at 40 gigabits per second, but at a very short distance limit. Uh, PoE is also quite capable, but it's limited to 90 watt and about 300 feet. If your edge device needs more than 100 watts or is more than 300 feet away, only our option has been AC power, which may not be located or backed up for business critical systems. Also, AC does not provide data. So each edge device may need a separate cable and pathway for power and data just for a single edge device. So a new building can be designed to be very smart, very efficient, very attractive to tenants. You would not design a building today the same as it was done 30 years ago, but in 30 years, most of the building inventory will be 30 years or older. Uh, just today, 50% of the buildings that exist were built before 1980. So why is that a challenge? Well, think about the changes since then, right? Lead paint was only banned in 1978. Asbestos was banned in 1989. You know, many of these building stocks do not have IT closets with lots of fiber, power, climate controls. They might literally have room closets. You know, it can be tough to find locations in these buildings that support the intelligent devices. So here's a comparison of different power distribution methods. AC power can do a lot of power and a lot of distance, but because it's dangerous, it must be in conduit and separated from any data cables, and it uses certified labor. A data connection requires a separate pathway and maybe even a different installer to reach the same location as the AC power. The aggregate power of power over Ethernet, PoE, with 14 cables would reach 1,000 watts, but the power to each load is limited. Um, but the benefit there is it's low voltage, it's safe, almost anyone can run those cables, and they provide both power and data. Digital electricity can provide the power levels of AC with the wiring practices of PoE. When paired with fiber optics, a single hybrid fiber cable 
can provide significant data and significant power at long distances. This allows a fiber deep architect is not limited by the available power, available pathways, uh, avoids things like core drilling, new poke throughs, et cetera. Digital electricity can dramatically increase the speed of deployment of these intelligent building systems. Just having trouble scrolling through. Uh, here's what a centralized, too far. Here's what a centralized digital power architecture looks like. You need to pull, pull fiber to these zones anyways. So by pulling a hybrid fiber cable, you immediately realize labor savings. Instead of needing UPS at each zone or IDF or IT closet, a single UPS can provide critical power to all the edge devices and the Volt server unit can provide load shedding during an outage to, to prioritize those loads. Finally, here's a, a sample case study out of over a, a thousand venues that digital electricity is deployed in today. Um, this is the Circa Casino and Resort in Las Vegas. Um, it's one of the newest casinos. It's on Fremont Street. Lucky 777 number of rooms and suites. Um, <clears throat> pretty much all of it is powered uh, with that centralized digital architecture I just showed you. Uh, digital electricity is providing bulk power to the rooms and then each device in the room is powered with a typical low voltage, whether that's POE or class two. Um, and it, so that includes tablets, you know, the, the shades, uh, the lights, you know, all sorts of those, those things that are in the guest rooms. Uh, and finally, the digital electricity is also powering the 5G system and the Wi-Fi. Um, so here's a, you know, a case study of a, a very intelligent building where the owners and operators can look at the usage of the intelligence within their rooms, the energy use of their rooms, and they can customize the experience to each guest. And the lower cost of you know combining that power and data uh, onto a single cable you know gives them that deep insight out there and allows them to get up and running much faster. Luke, that's um, I mean that is that is mind blowing stuff. <clears throat> and uh, as we said when we we talked about this earlier, the first question for me is how does this get into the the regular development process with with engineers and electrical engineers? And I mean, how how do you take something like this that is so fundamental uh, to a structure and get it into the regular process as opposed to being, you know, if you had a widget, that's the one thing, but this is, this is a fundamental off, uh, piece of structure, infrastructure. Um, yeah. So, you know, we're, we're working with those system integrators, those technology integrators, um, you know, to get them up and running faster. I mean, so we've, you know, we've reached out to these companies said, you know, here's, here's what I've got to do. You know, I've got to hire an EC firm and they've got to run conduit and the, the power lines to this location. And then I got to hire somebody else to pull the fiber out. And now I've got, you know, whether it's a 5G radio or Wi-Fi access point or whatever it is, you know, that's how much, you know, time, effort and cost can go into it. Just, to, you know, organizing two different schedules, right, can be can be a challenge. So, so we work directly with these uh, integrators um, to design this in from the beginning, you know, so that when they, they do that fiber pull, 
you know, they're, they're capitalizing on that labor cost that's uh, already required. Um, Does it and, have to be you know, what we've also been working Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. You finish? No. Uh, yeah, so top down, I mean, what we like to do is we have a team of solution engineers. So we will work with the partner or the end customer uh, to design these systems and make sure that they have the right power, you know, all the cables are rate routed appropriately. Uh, we provide that value-added service, you know, free of charge, you know, in the hopes that, you know, you, you purchase the equipment. So I guess what I'm saying is if you were to go to a new project or somebody got interested in this, isn't it so different that 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 literally the investor, owner, developer would have to to sort of um, endorse it rather than is is it you know rather than being at a bottoms up uh, engineering conversation? What what have you found so far? Um, it's interesting because we we've, we've had a lot of conversations with building owners who are interested in the technology and we're already in their buildings. They're just not aware of it, right? Um, you know, I, I don't know if every building owner knows how many fiber pathways or power pathways are in their building, who put it in, when it was put in. Um, you know, we're, we're in, as I mentioned, you know, thousands of venues, and we have these conversations with stadium owners, airport owners, and, you know, the conversation sometimes comes to, hey, we're, we're already there. You know, could you be leveraging it for other applications outside of what's already being powered? And uh, are you partnering with renewable solutions? I mean, is that is that a is that also a path to market, if you will? Yes. Um, you know, well, the way we see it, our system is inherently a DC-based system, and renewable, you know, solar, uh, wind, they're they're inherently DC. So, what do you see outside these large, you know, solar farms? What you see this giant box that's an inverter, right? Because it's being plugged into a building that you know uses AC power. Right. But in the end, all the things, you know, on our desks and most of the stuff we use every day, it is all DC powered. That's why you got these wall warts. Right. You plug them into the wall. It converts AC to five volts, 12 volts, whatever to power your, your local device. If you can remain, remove those conversions, you can, you know, it's not going to be, you know, 50 percent savings, but a few percent savings and energy consumption in a building is a big number. You know, if you can tell people you can drop your energy consumption by three to five percent by eliminating these conversions that are wasteful um, that makes a big difference one just in the efficiency of the building but also if you're using renewables you need less solar panels right yeah that's and that and that was kind of the the my original question of how you get it into the regular you know typical real estate process because it, it like you said when we're we said earlier when we're talking about going to net zero uh, in a building that's that's a moonshot and every, not only every 10%, every double digit percentage matter, every single digit percentage increase is gonna matter, everything you can do. So <clears throat> uh, really uh, uh, interesting stuff. And I know there's a lot more to come on that, uh, Luke. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, if, I, if I could have all the panelists uh, pop back on, we'll, uh, we'll I, have a, I have a handful of questions for us. And um, I'm gonna start with uh, uh, Kira and Archie. I, I said earlier about the, uh, the haves and the have-nots, and uh, you know, uh, and I want to start with Kira and say, when you look for buildings, I know you've got your way, your approach, your technology, but are you selecting buildings based on those attributes of sustainability and cybersecurity and and uh, and and a hybrid and, and ability to create an experience? Are you is that a criteria yet, or do you just take whatever you get and put your thing on it? Um, that's a good question. I can really only speak from like a technology standpoint, not from a selection. Mm. 
point. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean the um, the technology or or the exi what's existing in the building, it's like definitely plays into then the um, uh, plays into kind of you know what we're interfacing with on the other side of it, and so. We look at those buildings and then, you know, want to make sure that they are kind of aligned to our expectations in terms of the things that we care about. So whether that's sustainability, operational, you know, aspects, employee experience, those need to all be consistent across one building to the next. Um, and so, you know, it, it, whether it's the selection criteria or kind of how we then come into the space, you know, that's kind of consistent, um, at, you know, in terms of creating that overall experience between one building to the next. No, that's right. And I, I, I get you there. And Ar Ar Archie, are, are you guys in sort of a continual race to be the have side of the equation uh, and to have your buildings be desirable in that way? Is, is that part of your mentality? Yeah, I think definitely it, um, it, it definitely changes from uh, like asset class to asset class. If, uh, you know, if you're talking commercial, then, you know, we, we do, we, we look at it more uh, comprehensive uh, smart building system, but when you get into, you know, when, when we look at our retail properties or even industrial, um, it's more of a scaled down version and residential, it's sort of a, another mixed bag. So it, it, it does really vary from asset class to asset class. And well, let me, <clears throat> let me ask you both this uh, same question. I said at the very beginning of this, that, that we're facing the most disruption since 2008 with, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, pandemic and sustainability and cybersecurity. And is that 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 was that was just a statement are you guys experiencing that feel free to disagree with that but are you feeling that the conditions in the industry are forcing what's going on in innovation or, or is that overstated uh no i think it's very relevant especially nowadays with the fact that uh uh you know more properties are data driven um like even operationally we're trying to be more data driven so there is uh you know more more tunnels and channels for you know other characters to kind of get into our buildings, so that 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 is that is very very much a, 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 a like a big concern. So we are focusing on cybersecurity, and and as one of our primary objectives is prior to deploying some of these initiatives, we look at okay, how can we protect ourselves because we're not necessarily on the IT network. We have created sort of our converged building OT network, so we want to make sure that we are protected as we start to deploy some of these things. And yeah. uh, go ahead, Kara, please, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I would just add that the, you know, um, solutionizing for, for the smart building space right now, I think has just become increasingly complex. And whether we're talking about cybersecurity, what the data we need at the end uh, even is, um, and how that's going to be operationalized, change management, I think data privacy, um, and really ensuring that we're aligned to, you know, employee policies, all of those, you know, like, come to be this just really complicated uh, set of both requirements and also processes that we need to go through as we think about bringing something into our buildings and then actually keeping it there long-term. So I don't think there's an easy answer other than just you know accepting that complexity and then working through it. Um, but I, yeah, I think we're, as, as innovation happens, we're also struggling with you know just a more complex environment. So, and then uh, Rick alluded to this, but I like for Rick and Mark uh, to comment on this, that, you know, about being asked uh, by customers for innovation so they can keep up. I mean, Rick, you, you pretty much said it straight out. Is, is that the purpose of those uh, NDAs and RFIs because they're trying to keep up with innovation? 
Yeah, it is. And they're really they're they're also looking for us to bring, um, I guess, the background and the expertise to, um, you know, help them fill the gaps or help them facilitate how they get from point A to point B. And I think it's fair to say, you know, the you know, the challenge of that is for our industry is, is it's not, you know, it's no longer um, a group of smart building automation guys that learned some programming and learned a little bit of networking. I mean, we're looking at uh, basically a sea change of how our teams are structured and built. You know, we are going to have to have, you know, um, people with database skills, networking, cybersecurity skills. So, it you know the to deal with the complexities and i know and i'll pitch to mark i know on the hardware side of this their their challenge is to create hardware that facilitates okay. that matches so, with yeah, those implement that's a great question mark mark are you being asked for things that maybe you don't even have just because people need to keep up with the joneses so to speak well i think you know i don't think it's one or the other i think it's it's a combination of both yes for those who have truly adopted the value of a smarter building, we're being asked. But at the same time, as an advisor to our clients as well, it's our job to be two or three steps ahead and tell them what we see, where we're going. And again, for us as developers and supporters of the technology, is it behooves us to be two or three steps ahead uh of her what they're asking but so that's, it's not it's not one or the other it's that combination conversion. that's a fair that's a fair point to be two or three steps ahead because i want to uh bring a wet blanket or maybe the grown-up in the group jeff um and <laughs> and say you know because we talked before about how some of this stuff is going too fast for customers right and uh, uh just to let the audience know in our prep conversation jeff and i were talking about customers and i don't don't think this is heresy at real time everybody relax but they were actually turning off dashboards full of data because they you know it was about data 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 and then it was like what the hell am i doing with this data and like let me just go back and focus so jeff how, how do we you know is is it moving too fast for digestion i think i don't think it's moving well it, it's interesting because um to mark's point it's kind of a yes and a no and that i don't think it's moving fast enough for some of the technology champions you know people that are you know in high value assets high profile projects that have access to the latest technology and they and they have the will to adopt it i think they're moving really quickly and then i think what's happening to the, the broader portfolio sometimes is they they feel left behind and so that's when they start you know asking questions and I think there's really a, a timeline aspect to this where I think if you provide the vision and you provide what the preferred stack is, and then you you map that out really carefully and then present it back to the business, you sort of alleviate people's fears. And I think then um, the real key is to get away from solutions that require people's attention and you move toward, you know, the buzzword right now is actionable insights. But I think what needs to happen too is you need to actually decide what those actions are and present those actions to the people in the buildings that can either take them or decline them. So I think you need to move through the sort of, I think the idea of someone sitting in front of a dashboard is, is going to seem quaint, you know, in the, in the future. Because I think what will happen is you'll move past the dashboards, past the sort of actionable insight piece, and actually create workflows to these actions and present them to people who can act on them. 
And I think that will really democratize it and make the broader portfolio able to take advantage of the technology. By the way, it's one of, one of our favorite words and it's often left out of a technology conversation is workflow. Um, so let's remember that. But I'm, I, uh, I'm going to ask Luke a quick question and then if everybody be ready for just a, a, a soundbite uh, send off for your, your, your advice to the audience for innovation. Uh, but Luke, uh, with, with your approach to to electricity and digital, you know, and all that is—is is that uh, potentially a, a a way to help actually scale when you build in that flexibility and you you can, you know, not have to be so um, uh, rigid and permanent in in the typical electrical infrastructure? Is that is that actually a scaling uh, mechanism in addition to just being innovative? Um, you know, whether it's move, add, and change, you know, during the construction process or just wanting to move one thing to another after everything's all built up, you know, moving an Ethernet cable is fairly simple, you know, depending where it is. Uh, moving a power conduit, not so much. I, I think it's a great point. And, uh, and I think it's even with POE, it's long overdue. And now you're, you bring a whole new dimension to that. So let's just go around the horn real quick, uh, uh, starting with Jeff. So I, I think prescriptively for the future, the biggest thing is to don't forget about the business itself and get people engaged across all the business lines and all the regions in the technology discussion. Because yep. uh, the difference between asset types is kind of blurring. And I think yep. you can find great ideas across the board that you can incorporate. Yep, Rick, real quick. Yeah, and uh, and not lose sight of the fact that uh, innovations not only happen in, in software and hardware and technology, they also happen with people. And, and workflows and those type of things. So we really need to innovate ourselves a little bit too. Agree, Mark, real quick. Let business and outcomes drive, not technology. Let technology be the enabler. That's fabulous. Luke. Uh, I just, uh, you know, follow on to some of those. I think the technology, you know, is, a, is an enabler, but, you know, you gotta be solving business problems, right? All right, Archie, what do you say? Uh, I think my suggestion is just get started. Um, start with what you have and, and keep going. And we started and finished with Kira. <laughs> yeah, I think just don't get too lost uh, in what the future is going to be like and uh, really to kind of pay attention to you know what's going on today um, and solve for those problems first. But guys, I really appreciate it. I mean, innovation sometimes is just thrown out there and it can be a buzzword and all that. So you guys have all all brought today some real sort of uh, sober, thoughtful ways of thinking. And I hope, hope that does a lot of good for the audience. Thank you, Chuck. All right. You guys did great. Fantastic. Wrapped it up. Thanks again to all of our panelists. Your contributions are so valuable. Uh, lots of information to process. Thanks to the live audience for being active in the incoming questions. Um, whether you joined us live or you're watching this recording, uh, thank you for tuning in and uh, be sure to register for the first webinar series in the new year. It's exactly what we just ended up with, driving business outcomes with smarter building technology. And we'll build on the, today's discussion. We'll explore fundamentals. We're, we're going to be uh, closely examining case studies. So uh, the, this is it's a good follow on to this one. So if you like this, which I thought was fantastic, you, uh, you you'll you'll really enjoy that. It's never too soon also to begin making plans for your RealCom. IBCon 2023 will be in Las Vegas at Caesars Palace in mid-June. And with that, I wish everyone a very 
happy and healthy holiday season. Uh, join us next year for just more great content, relative interactive discussions that you can really find, I'm telling you right now, nowhere else right here with the RealCom team. That's it for us. Be safe, and we'll see you next year. Thank you. Bye.